Are you ready to begin your journey out of the realm of just theories and into a world of excitement and experience that only comes with braving the unknown? Join us as we speak to entrepreneurs who have faced the challenges of successfully creating businesses at home as well as abroad. Whether it's arts, services, or tech, from Shanghai to Tokyo, Bangkok to Mumbai, we'll help you find your inspiration and turn it into action. Get ready for Asia Biz Stories, Entrepreneurs in Action. Now welcome your host, Neville J. McKenzie. Today's conversation is with Ben Ivey, a young entrepreneur from the United Kingdom. Ben graduated from Exeter University in 2014 and has visited China twice as a student to gain living and business experience, which he is now using to build a startup in Shanghai, while at the same time applying his expertise as a productivity specialist and motivational speaker. He is already an author and is passionate about using outsourcing to build a successful business. He has an excellent academic record and could easily have chosen to rise in the corporate world, but instead has chosen to enter the unpredictable and exciting world of entrepreneurship in China. Ben explains how and why he chose to begin his entrepreneurial journey at university and what he hoped to learn from others whilst there. He also takes us on the beginning of his startup, One Pink Elephant. So now, without further delay, let's begin. So I'm with Ben Ivey. And Ben is a young entrepreneur that I met recently here in Shanghai. So, Ben, can you introduce yourself? Uh, yeah, sure. So, uh, I've been in Shanghai for the past six months. I class myself as a productivity specialist, uh, a motivational speaker, and an entrepreneur. For the past month, I've been juggling two jobs whilst having five different employees, uh, three from outsourcing. Uh, one being my business partner who flew out from Austria, which we'll get into more depth later on. And then we had an intern as well for the month. Uh, so that was working on the One Pink Elephant business. Okay. So helping people learn Chinese. All right then. So tell us about your history. What did you start off with? I mean, I've looked at your LinkedIn profile mm -hmm. and what I've seen is that in, with an education like you've got, uh, you could get any job you wanted. So why did you choose to be an entrepreneur? So I, I did my A-levels, and they went really well. So I, I got my three A-stars in, in maths, history, and economics. And then from there, I wanted to go to university to be able to be surrounded with like-minded people. And I thought the better the university, the better the people that I would hang around. Uh, you're the average of the five people you spend most time around. Yeah, I've heard that. So for me, I wanted to be around people that were very intelligent. So I ended up going to Exeter University. And it was from there that I started looking into developing my own business. So I started off with uh, jumpers, just like my accommodation jumpers. So I made like £100 from that or something, something small. Then I moved into Chinese character books. So that's when I started. So I picked up Chinese at university. Uh, I did economics in Mandarin. And when I was there, I wanted a better way to learn the Chinese characters. So I thought I'd import 50 books from China that I thought were going to cost me uh, £1 for 50 books and £8 first class shipping. But I ended up converting it into the wrong currency. So I was using the Japanese currency. So instead of it costing me £1 for the books, it cost me 9 And for first class shipping, it cost me £89. So for about £100, I got a package which was the size of about my hand. And that, that was one of the biggest mistakes that, that I made at sort of that age with regards to my entrepreneurial experiences. 
So why didn't you just go straight into being an entrepreneur? Why not surround yourself with smart entrepreneurs or people that were being successful in business? Well, I, I guess at the age that I was, I didn't know anyone in, in that sort of field. So it, it would have been deemed quite ridiculous to go and be an entrepreneur without having the experience or knowing the people around me who would be able to lift me up. So I thought getting out of my home and being surrounded with other people and actually having some experience first was pretty important uh, to be able to learn from others so I wouldn't make the same mistakes that they would make. You've written a book, How to Dominate Any Exam. Does that give away your secrets of how you've been successful in the academic yeah, I, I put all the information that I knew from my education, so however many years that was, and I looked at it as a challenge just to see the techniques that I used to allow me to, to do very well. And from there, I split it up into three different things. So I looked at the mindset, which is probably one of the most important things, then looking at uh, revision technique and exam technique, and within that, a variety of different memory techniques that most people don't know about because throughout school, we are told a lot of things, but we're not told how to learn. So I think that subtle difference is something that a lot of the education system really misses out on. So where did you get this knowledge that no one knows about? Well, I, w I wouldn't say that no one knows about it, but I guess it intrigued me that there were people on the planet that were learning cards in 30 seconds and doing feats of memory such as memorizing a variety of binary digits in seconds and I found that that would be strange that at school you wouldn't be told some of these incredible techniques to help you learn. So it was from there that I started researching it uh, in my first year of uni and then some of the techniques I was using before. So it was a culmination of these factors that started to allow me to have that knowledge and that expertise to be able to write a book to help people. And how did these techniques help you with your own exams? Well, I, I guess it brought me clarity as to the best way to approach them. I think for a lot of exams, it's a very difficult thing to juggle with so many. So for myself, uh, looking at these different techniques, such as you know timetable and scheduling and actually breaking down everything you had to do, was something that was really fundamental for me to move forward. And with the people that have read the book recently, and have taken the exams, it'll be very interesting to see the results that come out in August and then the book reviews that will you know, come in their force to actually prove some of the concepts that I brought forward in the book. While you were at university, you started selling bags. Mm -hmm. Where, what was the motivation behind selling the bags and how did you get the name? Okay, so in my, so after my previous experiences at uh, university where it didn't go so well with the Chinese books. I then tried espadrilles and other things. I like selling shoes. I then looked into selling hats. And I really wanted to create something that would be lasting, so a passive income. So this is where I looked into sports bags at the end of my second year. What I did is I, I looked at my university and it surprised me that we didn't have an extra university sports bag uh, with such a large amount of people on campus. Uh, I would expect the school shop or some of the teams to have these sports bags. So from there, I decided that I would start looking into this properly. So I looked into Alibaba.com, 
and a variety of other sites and got some prototypes sent over after one of my friends helped me with the design. From there, I went to China for three months. So I was actually getting bags sent from Pakistan and from China, uh, actually to where I was in China, based in Fudan University in Shanghai. So I was checking out the prototypes and then finally launched in September with 200 bags that I sell to the shops and through different societies and managed to get rid of all of them in my third year. So why did you come to China? So I came to China for the second time those three months because I wanted to be more exposed to China. This was where I, uh, in my first year, I picked up Chinese as part of my degree because I saw the trends of China moving forward. And I thought being able to learn the language would open up many more doors and opportunities in due course. So the first time I went to China was a study China program. It was a two and a half week internship and language course where you were with a homestay. And for me, that was great to be able to be immersed in a culture that is so different from the Western world. From there, I looked to move to China for the three months, including a six week program in Fulan University, which is studying doing business in China and Chinese, followed by two weeks uh, working in Zhuhai, uh, which is just in the Guangdong province, just south of China, in an export and import department, so I can understand the sort of dynamics in the Chinese world. And it, it was there that I found something pretty strange, that a lot of Chinese people actually sleep at 12.30 after lunch, so they turn all the lights out and sleep to regenerate themselves before they start the day. And I found that was pretty strange. To Wait, when you say on. start the day, you mean... So as to start the second part second of the day. Second part of the day, yeah. yeah. Um, and, f and for me, that was that was really, really strange to be in that sort of culture, which is completely different to the Western world. So you're saying that they started work at what time? What time so, did they start work? So they work? start work at the normal time. So eight, And then when it gets to their lunchtime, they eat lunch and then the lights will go off. And most people in the office will sleep for half an hour before the lights going back on and then them starting work to finish off the next part of the day. So what time do they actually finish work? The same time as us. So it would be around five, I imagine. The sort of same, like eight till five or nine till five sort of day. So it's standard practice to take a midday nap? I'm not sure if it's standard practice in all of China, but in the place, in the internship that I was sort of having there, it was something that was fundamentally part of their culture. And I do know that a lot of Chinese companies do do that. So, um, yeah, sorry, carrying on from that. Uh, I traveled with my family all over China so I could see some different cities, so I could understand where I'd want to be based. And it was there that I decided that sort of Shanghai was the place I wanted to be. Uh, going back to regards to the bags. So the reason I came up with Tweaky was because I was tweaking bags to make them the most efficient bags as possible. I didn't want them breaking. I wanted them to be cheap enough. And I wanted them to have that sort of student feel as well. So tweaking the bags was sort of key to my business. So Tweaky sort of came from that. So were you doing that work yourself or did you... Give that work to an outsourcer. So I was, I had friends around me that helped me with different aspects. But my first business with that one was juggling everything myself. So it was there I realized that you need people around you. And that was a great accelerated learning curve for me to understand how not to run a business. So while you're at university, you're involved in entrepreneurial groups. Yeah. So do you think that's something that can be taught in a university or do you think it's better to learn to be an entrepreneur outside? I think with anything to do with entrepreneurship, you have to take action. 
So a lot of people say to me that they have lots of ideas and they'd like my advice on them. But the truth is, is a lot of people who have these ideas will never be an entrepreneur because they've never taken action. So the first step of an entrepreneur is actually getting out there, taking action and learning, as well as learning from others as you do so. And I think for any entrepreneur, that's the most important thing for them to do. So why were they asking you for advice? So they would be asking me for advice, as in in China, because of the expertise I've had of running the business here, as well as doing outsourcing. So a lot of the mundane tasks that I used to do, I now have people in the Philippines and other countries that help me do them, so that it allows me to concentrate on where my expertise lie and concentrate on my strengths, as opposed to fixing the chinks in my armor. So where would you say your expertise is? My expertise lies as a productivity specialist. So getting, being the most efficient person to be able to get as many things done in a day as possible. Actually, there's a variety of techniques to do that. And I've gone through all the Brian Tracy and a variety of other different books to allow me to have that sort of knowledge. Uh, from that has outsourcing. So being able to tell other people to do the things for you so that you're not doing everything yourself. And then I also do the public speaking and motivational speaking as well. So I like the idea of the outsourcing. Um, but for me, I would say that, okay, you're outsourced everything. And what happens when you're, the company you've outsourced to decides they no longer want to work with you? What happens then? Okay, so throughout the outsourcing process, I mean, this is the whole topic in itself. Yeah. But as, a sort of, as the basics go, you want to be able to put a format in place and create outsourcing rules so that you could give those rules to anyone and they would understand what you expect from them. Now, admittedly, creating a relationship with, with any company, you have that sort of in place that you have that trust. And with any business, you have to be able to give the trust in someone else. Most, a lot of entrepreneurs have it that they don't trust other people, so they'll do everything themselves. And until they learn to trust other people, and actually asking other people to do things and delegating. And for them, they're going to be an entrepreneur instead of an entrepreneur, which, given the day and age, is something that is fundamental for a lot of people to move forward much faster. So you, you've actually separated two subclasses of entrepreneur. You've got the, you're saying it's an entrepreneur and then an entrepreneur. Uh, yeah, so that's something that I, I learned uh, going to an internet marketing course. Yeah. Uh, this guy called Simon Coulson, he's a multimillionaire. And he was saying how in this day and age, you need to have this entrepreneur and entrepreneur and how you, most people are entrepreneurs, so they do everything themselves and that's inefficient. So being an entrepreneur, you bring in the right people with the right expertise. So instead of you spending 10 hours, for example, on your marketing, there could be someone else who could do it in one who would be much, much more efficient than you would be. Admittedly, with any of these, you have to have a knowledge and an understanding of the field beforehand. I'm not saying outsource anything you don't know. I'm saying you need to have an understanding of it and then outsource it to someone who has the expertise. So how would you recommend somebody that doesn't have that knowledge in those areas gain that knowledge so that they can then outsource it? Uh, could you be a little bit more specific? Could you give um, an example? Say, for instance, um, I have an idea for a new phone. Mm -hmm. um, I can design the phone, but I can't market it. I have no idea of mar about marketing. How do I then select the right partner to work with me on the marketing? Okay, so I would, I would target that slightly differently for marketing. 
what I would do is I would use a bootstrap technique. So I would get someone and put them in like a trial test basis to join the company. And I would say that I'd like you to look at the top five phones that are selling at the moment and the marketing channels they're using as well as where the traffic's coming from. That way you'd have a better understanding of for your market where to go to, as in what channels are working best, whether you have the usual standard Facebook, Twitter, uh, you know, Pinterest, your YouTube. And then after that, you will understand where that market is better. And then having that basic understanding of YouTube, so looking at a, a few introductions on YouTube or speaking to someone perhaps that you know who has been doing some marketing on YouTube would give you that basic understanding as opposed to what some may do, which would be to look into other marketing channels that may not be relevant to them. So they may be looking to Facebook marketing for a week, become an expert Facebook marketer, but realize actually Facebook marketing isn't what you need if you were to sell a phone. So that would be the technique in that scenario that I would look at. Your current startup here in China is One Pink Elephant. Mm -hmm. Where did you get the idea for that? So the idea primarily came after I'd finished university. Uh, I was juggling the uh, Tweaky business. And I was also learning some Chinese because I knew I was going to come out to China. And I was really struggling with the characters. And this is where I started thinking that there must be an easier way with all my experts, being an expert on memory. So I thought that there must be some way to link all these memory techniques that I know to Chinese characters. And then I went on a hackathon. So this was called the Startup Bus. And this was a 72-hour trip through Europe with seven buses coming from all over different places in Europe, so from Estonia, Italy, Greece, and all finalizing in Vienna for a large pitching competition. So when I went on that, I actually pitched my idea of this one pink elephant. So what I did is I got the audience to imagine a pink elephant in their head, and what I said is that this pink elephant on your bed is a memory palace, so it's where you associate objects in a place you know well. And through this, the name of the one pink elephant arose, I can't remember exactly why I chose a, one, a pink elephant. I guess it's because it's so absurd that it sticks in most people's minds. Uh, from there, we had four of us working on the business for those 72 hours. So working on the bus and then making a prototype in Minecraft. And then actually pitching against hundreds of other people in this European competition. From there, we actually came third. So that gave us the ability to have a free month in San Francisco, which is actually what I'm going to San Francisco for uh, in the next month so that we can utilize that to the best of our ability, looking for investment. So it was that was the beginning of it. And from there, I went to China and I finalized the techniques using on myself and experimenting. And then for the past month, we've had the intern and my business partner actually using some proper data analytics and finalizing exactly the best way to bring this forward using augmented reality, virtual reality and the most efficient way to bring it to the market that we're going. How did you select the team that worked with you when you were on the competition? So on the bus, it was very much sporadic. Uh, you just asked different people to join, so it was very difficult to be selective. Uh, from there... Uh, Hold on, so you're saying that you simply got on the bus and then you picked teams as you were on the bus? So what would happen before is you yeah. went to a went up to Manchester, and we, there were 50 of us from the UK, and I think 26 of us pitched ideas. And then from there, you were given, uh, people had sticky notes that they put on the ideas they liked most. Then eight ideas were chosen. 
from there, 50 of us went into a room and people picked the ideas they wanted to work on. So it wasn't as if I would pick certain people. It was very much the law of attraction of whoever was interested in the idea would then come and work with us. From there, I've had the one person stay with me and the other two drop out with regards to the business due to different commitments and uh, them not being aligned with regards to where we're going. So for me, uh, Raf, which is my business partner, he is a, a sort of expert marketer and he's a, very much a, a sharpened tool in that he has a variety of different expertise and areas, which is great for what we're doing where we need to look at a variety of different things and get that feedback from the customers, which is also where his expertise lies. You set that up in the UK and why did you come to China now? So that was in last October. And then I came to China for six months to be able to understand better exactly how to build the tool. Because unless I have a thorough understanding of the Chinese language, it would be silly to make a tool to teach other people. From there, we had the Chinese intern working with us over summer. And she built up our database, which allows us to understand the characters and breaking them all down. What's in the database? So the database uh, allows us to break down all the most common characters oh. in the Chinese language. Uh, into a variety of different things, looking at tone pronunciation and yeah, meaning. Your technical expertise in terms of designing hardware, software, mm-hmm. do you have that? So for me, uh, yeah. I don't have expertise in yeah. technology. But what I do have is expertise in outsourcing and finding the right people and being able to use lean analytics to prove the concept without building the tool. Most people who build businesses will build a tool, give it to customers, and then wait for feedback. What we're doing instead is the build, measure, learn feedback loop, which allows us to build something very simple, which we don't have to use much time or put a lot of money into. And that will allow us to then get that feedback, which is what we've done for the past month, to looking at a variety of different iterations and getting that fed back to us and changing the data, depending on the results. Language learning is a very competitive field. What's going to make you different from the hundreds of other language learning tools out there? Well, for us, we're not a language learning tool. We're a Chinese character learning tool. So we're solely targeting Chinese characters. Uh, This niche allows us to really specialize and become the experts in that area. There are a variety of different competitors, around 15 altogether. However, what we're doing is very, very different and is much, much more efficient compared to what any other competitor is looking at at present. Mostly they are based on brute force learning, looking at forced repetition through flashcards, which, although you may be able to learn it in the short term, is inefficient in long-term learning. What our tool is good at is because it's based on theories back in 5th century BC, uh, first created by uh, Simonides of Sios, where a banquet hill collapsed. And he managed to name where everyone was sitting. And this is where the first remnants of this memory palace came from, uh, then written in a Latin book. So ours is actually based on the ways that human learn best, as opposed to a forced repetition sort of uh, way. In turn, looking into the future of virtual reality and augmented reality, this once again forces people to be even more efficient in this learning process, which is what a lot of other language tools aren't doing at present. Chinese students are well known for their prowess in taking exams. Um, Do you think this is a tool that someday could be used by Chinese students to improve their 
ability to take exams or any student? Yeah, I mean, looking into the future, it will be an educational tool that will allow people to have their own 3D memory palace to learn from, uh, which means that you can import any images or any information that you need into that tool and work it out um, in due course as to the best places for you to put the images, uh, images in and you can customize it thereafter. So for us, that is a long-term vision, but for the moment, as with any company, you have to niche. And this is what we're doing at present. In When you go to the States, San Francisco, mm -hmm. yeah. what do you hope to achieve? Uh, we'll be looking for investment then. Investment? Yeah. Um, you will be doing any development or is it just purely... Uh, well, um, we've run enough events and have enough customers to have uh, enough data to be able to prove the concept. So now it's looking for the right investors and making sure that we have the right people on board and in the right places to be able to develop this as quickly as possible in the most efficient way. And do you have any idea of the type of investor you want to work with? We'll be working with investors in the education field, uh, as well as possibly uh, investors within 3D game, game technology, as well as virtual reality and augmented reality. So it will depend on where their expertise lie and who else they can introduce us to, which will allow the tool to be very to be much more efficient as opposed to us learning everything ourselves, which is an inefficient way. So you mentioned three D technology. Mm -hmm. um, is that how does that how is that involved with what you're creating? Well, most people learn through flashcards, which are very static and boring. So instead, if you can imagine walking through your own home or uh, a massive palace made for you and seeing different characters come to life, or actually learning in a, a much more fun, efficient, enjoyable way, which is actually incredibly more efficient, and the same techniques that mental athletes use today to memorize cards. So using these techniques, you can learn things phenomenally quickly, and only time will tell how efficiently you can learn. At the moment, using some of these SRS systems. SRS, what's that? So this is space repetition systems, which is whereby as you're about to forget something, it then tells you to do a test to remind yourself. So this is an efficient way to learn as such. However, a lot of tools use this SRS system, which you means you have to repeat it a certain amount of times. However, if you used ours, this would cut the repetitions by half, by five times, by 10 times the amount, meaning that you would only have to look at something perhaps only five times to then to be in real long term. Is this what your results are telling you now? This isn't results that I need to tell me. This is results that have occurred for the past thousands of years as yeah. such. So uh, if you ask any mental athlete what they do, they will talk to you about this technique as, as it being the most efficient way to learn. And it makes sense because as humans, we're better at remembering images than we are words. For example, in the 1970s, they had a test whereby they had I don't know, hundreds of people and they all, uh, they all were exposed to 10,000 images five seconds at a time for each image. This took about five days. And then they were shown these images and had to pick which one they saw. Now the candidates remembered only eight, over 80% of those images, which just goes to prove to you as humans, we are innately better at remembering images. So you having a tool that is gamified and ha has some sort of effect with your emotions, as opposed to you statically learning, is enjoyable, more efficient, and a much better way to learn. Some of the background knowledge I have in this area has indicated that research is starting to show that games, um, uh, first-person shoot games, 
are actually changing the structure of the brain as they're being used. Is this something that you feel your product could um, build on as well? I think that with any gamified product, it allows you to use your right brain more as such. If you look at memory champions, they will access much more of their right brain as they're being creative and imaginative. So those of us who will be using this creativity tool as such, with the Wump and Gallifant, will innately have your brain change due to this brain training, which will allow you to think and access diff different things in different ways, which is actually really exciting. Yeah, they're actually noticing physical changes in the brain structure, something which a few years ago would have been dismissed, mm. but modern techniques are revealing. Yeah, I mean, it, it's pretty fascinating that as a society, we've become very lazy with our brains due to the fact that we have so much knowledge at the uh, end of our fingertips. We can look up almost anything we want with a few clicks. However, when we're learning languages and when we're learning other things, we can't use these techniques at present. Maybe we'll see in the future, but I think languages are something that we will always have to learn as a society. So having a very efficient way to learn them is definitely the best way moving forward. What would your opinion be of the fact that because there's so much knowledge available at your fingertips, which you mentioned before, it's actually making us lazier and lazier to the point where we're, we may stop thinking? Do you think that's a possibility? Uh, I don't think we could ever stop thinking because uh, as we're getting used to more technology, we're thinking in different ways and we have different challenges. So instead of having a challenge of finding a book in the library, we have the challenge of finding an article uh, through the SEO of Google, for example. So challenges are still there, but just in a variety of different circumstances. I think as humans, we are becoming much more intelligent with regards to how we pick up things quicker. And with technology increasing exponentially, we're actually becoming more intelligent with regards to how we adapt all these different things. If you look at children, it's incredible how quickly they learn to use these apps and use these iPhones and iPads, as opposed to older people that find it more difficult because it's something that they're not used to. So do you see yourself as a young entrepreneur leading the way in this area? Uh, I see um, myself and, and the team around me leading with regards to the education field, making it much more exciting and efficient for people to learn what general advice can you give to entrepreneurs? Okay, so generally speaking, I would say all entrepreneurs should be constantly learning. They, they need to be perpetual learners. They have to stay ahead in their field and keep learning and never stop. Uh, any entrepreneur that do this will be successful because they'll realize that any mistakes they make are merely a learning curve. From there, I would say to entrepreneurs that they need to be hanging around with people that are very successful and not with people that are bringing them down. Because for a lot of entrepreneurs, they, if they have these negative people around them, it will feed into their thoughts, both consciously and a lot unconsciously as well. So for them, they need to be hanging around these positive, successful people. Because as well as being the average of the five people you spend most time around, in five years' time, you'll have the average income of the five people you spend most time around. If you spend time with billionaires, then it's more, much more likely you become a billionaire yourself. Okay, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. And great pleasure meeting you. Yeah. Cheers. Ben can be contacted at his website at benivy.co.uk and the links will be in the show notes. 
This brings us to the end of this episode of Asia Biz Stories, Entrepreneurs in Action. Now we need you to hit the subscribe button and head over to asiabizstories.com for more great information on how to take your inspiration and turn it into action. Thanks again, and we look forward to having you join us next time on Asia Biz Stories, Entrepreneurs in Action.